until we see the Lord, right? Amen? Oh, good. You said amen. <laughs> uh, this morning, we're going to talk about the Lord's coming. And he's coming, right? <laughs> Not too soon, either. And uh, we're going to talk about what is called a rapture. And we're going to see that that word comes from the original Greek language in one of the passages we're going to read. As the Lord sat with his disciples that night to eat the Paschal feast and then to take the bread and the cup, to give it to his disciples, to eat it in remembrance of him and to drink it as the beginning of the new pact, the new covenant, the new testament that he would initiate in his blood. And while they were sitting there, they talked about many things. John chapter 13 and 14, and then chapter 15 and 16 as they walked to Gethsemane. And after predicting Peter's denial, the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, what? I will come again. <laughs> I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What a wonderful promise, right? The initial teaching about the Lord's coming. And we believe that even though almost 2,000 years have passed since he gave that promise, we believe that one of these days, he will appear and he shall take us to be with himself. Amen? 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 Yeah. While I have a drink of water, you say amen. <laughs> then after the Lord gave that promise, <clears throat> many years later when he called Saul of Tarsus to be his great messenger, apostle to the nations, <coughs> he gave Saul... Paul the Apostle, the revelation about his coming. And we're going to read five passages this morning that Paul gave to the church in different places. So let's turn, first of all, to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. <clears throat> and when Paul was called to be Christ's apostle to the nations, he and Barnabas traveled through what is now the country of Turkey a very fanatical Muslim country where a few years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, three of the Lord's servants were slaughtered in a printing house by former Muslim students that they were teaching. So it's not a very peaceful country. It's a country where there is much persecution against the church. And Paul and Barnabas walked through what is then known as Asia Minor and became known as Turkey on their first missionary journey and came back to Antioch of, Pisidia, of Syria. And then they went on their second missionary journey. And as they got to the very western part of Turkey, Asia Minor, Paul received a vision. And the vision was a man from Macedonia across the Aegean Sea in the country that is known as Macedonia or Greece or Achaia. And the vision said, come over to Macedonia and help us. 
What a wonderful vision it was that began the extension of the gospel into Europe in the country that is now known as Greece. And as they went across the sea, the first city they got to was Philippi, which was a Roman colony. And there Paul was imprisoned and beaten and put in prison. And then he founded the church there and he traveled south to Thessalonica, the next city south, and then next to Berea and further south to Athens and ended up in Corinth, right down at the tip of what is now Greece, a great port city. And in those three places, four places, I guess, in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Berea, and then in Corinth, a church of the living God was founded. And Paul wrote to three of those churches. And in each of the three messages, it seems that his message was changed from his message during his first missionary journey when he was combating Judaism, and those Jews said that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved, and Paul combated that heresy, that false teaching. But then during the second missionary journey, as he worked his way south, uh, down the Grecian Peninsula, Macedonia and Achaia, it seemed the Lord gave him a, a, a different message. And the message was about the Lord's coming. <laughs> and the first passage we're going to read is in um, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. And those two verses are tremendous verses about the Lord's coming. And Paul says, for our citizenship, in the King James it's our conversation, but it doesn't mean our talk. <laughs> It means our citizenship, for our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body into a fashion to be like his son to his own glorious body, according to the power that is able to do, subdue all things unto himself. Now in each of these five passages about the rapture that we're going to read, there's a special unique teaching in each one that's different from the others, and then there's a special application to us as the Lord's people. And the special teaching in this passage, our citizenship is in heaven. Now you know you're a citizenship, you're a citizen of the country where? Where you're born, right? And that's why so many people during their many women during their last few months of pregnancy want to get into the United States legally or illegally. They want to get into the United States so that their baby will be born within the limits of this country, the United States of America. And the moment they're born, what are they? Citizens. They're citizens according to the law of the United States of America, which was made a number of years ago. They're citizens of this country. Now, we are citizens of heaven. When the Lord talked to Nicodemus, said, you must be born again. But that word, to be born again, really should be better translated. You must be born from above. It's anothen. You're born from above. You must be born from above. And if we're born of the Spirit of God from above, we are citizens of heaven, right? And then the Lord says in that passage that when the Lord comes, he will change, transform this, it says in our English translation, this vile body. Well, in our Spanish Bible, it says this body of our humiliation. De nuestra humillación. And you know, as we get older, it's true. We're humiliated. 
by the weaknesses of our body. We don't run and walk as we used to do. I can't walk like I used to walk. I don't see as I used to see. Everything's blurry out there. I don't even know if you're there or not or if you're asleep. Don't worry if you go to sleep, I can't see you. <laughs> we don't hear like we used to. What is that you said? We don't hear like we used to. It's a, it becomes a, our humiliating body. But you know, when the Lord Jesus comes again, those of us who know the Lord as our Savior, we will be instantly changed, transformed, and we will have a body like unto his own glorious body. Won't that be wonderful? Boy, that'll be a wonderful day. What a wonderful day that will be, we sing. And so the first message about the rapture is that we're born from above, and when the Lord comes, this body of our humiliation will be transformed instantly like his own glorious body. What a wonderful day that will be. And then as he traveled south, he got to Berea. We don't have a letter to the Bereans, but it says that the Bereans studied these things to see if they were really so and they were more noble, it says, than those in Thessalonica. And then the Jews came down from Philippi and Thessalonica and began to persecute Paul, so he fled south to Athens, and he ended up in, in Corinth. But while he was with the Thessalonians, years a little while later, he wrote to them a letter, and also in that letter, there's a wonderful passage. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse... 13, please. So later on, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, reminding them about the things that he taught them while he was with them. And when he wrote to them, he said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, that's his favorite word here in this passage, concerning those who are asleep, that you sorrow not as those which have no hope. For we believe that if Jesus died and rose again, them also which are asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not go before them. In, our, in the King James it says shall not prevent them, but that, that, prevent, that word prevent doesn't mean to hinder them, it means to go before them. We shall not go before those who are asleep in Jesus. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's the word rapture in Greek. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So the main teaching here is that word that we get our word rapture from, to be caught up suddenly, to be snatched out of this world, to be caught up together with them in the clouds. And that's the word we get our word rapture from. We shall be raptured, and we shall go up to meet the Lord in the air together with those who were raised from the dead and we who are alive it is coming, and it may be today, maybe tomorrow, we don't know when. And we shall meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And the application is, therefore, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 
And you know, it's a comfort when we lay aside in death, in the grave, our loved ones who know the Lord in their life. And if you do not know the Lord as your Savior, there's no comfort in your death. Because your family has no assurance that you're with the Lord. The instant you die, you're in hell. And there's no in-between state, as some religions say there is. And so the instant you die, you're either with the Lord or you're not with the Lord. <clears throat> And Paul says that because of this great teaching of the rapture, the coming of the Lord to take the dead and the living to himself, it's a comfort to those who know the Lord. There's no comfort in the death of a person who dies without knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There's no comfort in that. Years ago, we were in the hospital in Buffalo and going up to see my dad, and uh, we were in the elevator with a a very large Italian family. And we were sitting in the waiting room there outside of the surgery, and after a while, the doctor came out to tell that family that their loved one passed away during surgery. And they went berserk. Some of them fainted, the women were crying, and there was no comfort in that family because they didn't know the Lord. But you know, when we lay aside a loved one in the grave, and that one is asleep in the Lord, three times Paul says he's asleep in Jesus, not just dead, but asleep in Jesus, and there's a comfort, isn't there, for the family to know that that loved one, the instant that the breath leaves the body, the spirit and the soul is instantly with the Lord. And so Paul says you can comfort one another with these words. The teaching at Thessalonica had been that some, some people were teaching that the Lord had already come, and those that were still there were left behind, and there was no hope for them. But Paul writes this little letter to the, first Corinthians, the Thessalonians to tell them that there is comfort in the rapture. There's comfort in the coming of the Lord. He hasn't come yet, but when he does come, Everyone who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be instantly taken up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a wonderful truth that is. And it's wonderful to know that when this body ceases to breathe and live, that in, this mo in that moment that we are with the Lord, and one day we'll be caught up, we'll be raptured into his presence. Well, then Paul travels farther south into Athens. We don't know whether there was ever a church uh, founded in Athens, but he travels south to Corinth, to the very tip of the peninsula, a great city of Corinth, a terrible port city. Most port cities are, <laughs> are places of great sin by the sailors who <laughs> come ashore and have their fling for a few days. And Corinth was known to be a terribly sinful city. In fact, the saying was, that if you want to corrupt anybody, you Corinthianize them. <laughs> and Paul gets, gets to Corinth, and he's there about a year and a half, and he preaches the gospel in Corinth, and he's founded a church there in the home of Priscilla and Aquila, and 
many people were saved. Many people got saved in Corinth because he was able to write years later that some of them had taken the Lord's Supper not living a good life. While living in sin, they had taken the Lord's Supper, and some of them became sick because they did that, and it says many died. Wow. <laughs> Imagine if you take the Lord's Supper in, uh, without living a, a Christian life, a pure life, you're in danger of becoming sick or die. Well, it happened in Corinth. We don't know if it happened in any other places, but Paul wrote about that to the Corinthians. But then, even though the church at Corinth had problems, Paul gives to them a great revelation. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please, and verse 51. I don't know if you've got this passage underlined in your Bible or not, <laughs> but this is one of the first passages that I memorized when I was a young person. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to the end. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, there's a number of mysteries, probably six or seven or ten mysteries in the New Testament. A mystery is not like a mystery novel that you don't get the final truth about it until you get to the last page or chapter. <laughs> but uh, a mystery is a truth that in the Old Testament was not fully revealed. But since the coming of the Holy Spirit, remember the Lord said that when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth and he will show you things to come. And since the Holy Spirit has come and formed the church and the day of Pentecost, and ever since the Holy Spirit is teaching his people the people of the Lord, he's teaching us things to come. And one of the things that he taught the apostle to teach about what was to come was the coming of the Lord, right, the rapture. And he says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, we shall not all die. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, and that word moment in the Greek is the word atom, in a split atom of time, <laughs> in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed, it says. For this corruptible, those who have died and whose bodies have undergone corruption, for this corruptible must be clothed upon, must be changed to incorruption. And this mortal body propensive to, to die this mortal body shall be clothed with immortality so that when this corruptible shall be changed into incorruption and this mortal shall be changed into immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, and here comes the application, right? Wherefore, my beloved, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
Now that's a tremendous passage, isn't it? And it teaches us that when the body of a believer is placed in the grave and it undergoes corruption, even as Job said that his body would be consumed by the worms, but in his flesh he shall see God. Wow, way back then in the days of Job, he had the conviction that he would be raised and in his new body he would see God. Wonderful revelation. It was then a mystery, but it's now fully revealed. So that when we lay to rest in the grave, the body of our loved one, as the Lord says, dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. And so as the body lays in the grave there, the person, his body asleep until the coming of the Lord, he will one day be raised again. His body will be clothed upon with incorruption. It will never die again. And we who are alive at the Lord's coming, we mortals, will be instantly changed into the likeness of fashion of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tremendous, tremendous truth of the coming of the Lord. And then he closes the passage with that great exhortation. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. Are we steadfast or are we vacillating? <laughs> Every day we should be going on for the Lord. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Don't let any false doctrine, there's lots of false doctrines out there. There's lots of sects and there's lots of churches that are teaching false doctrine. Unmovable by those false doctrines. Always abounding. Are we abounding in the work of the Lord? Are we doing more for the Lord today than we did last year? Are we abounding in the work of the Lord, serving the Lord faithfully with our lives, witnessing for him to those around us, abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Whatever you're doing to serve the Lord is not in vain, because after the rapture comes the judgment seat of Christ, when we shall be rewarded for that which we have done for the Lord. What a wonderful day that will be when the Lord will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. It will be a wonderful day when the Lord gives out the rewards. We were at a great graduation yesterday when Olivia Niebuhr graduated and we came home to see the graduation of Nathan while I was in the hospital during his graduation. And then the graduation of, 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 of Graham uh, from his master's program and his commissioning through the army. And then yesterday, Olivia's graduation. And during the graduation, they're often rewarded and congratulated and have given a prize. And one day we will stand before the Lord having been faithful, abounding in the work of the Lord, and we'll receive his well done. I hope we're all going to be able to receive his well done. Not living in this world, not living for sin, not living just for ourselves, but living and serving the Lord, so that he will be able to say to each of us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now the next passage I don't know by heart. <laughs> But Nathan's going to read it for us. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When my dad, Louis Lehman, was in the hospital in Buffalo, 
we were living here in Rochester, and on Sunday we went over to visit him. He was pretty low, and uh, while I was sitting there next to his bed, my dad said, Carl, um, what's it going to be like after I die? Because he knew that soon he would die. Carl, what's it going to be like after I die? And so I opened my Bible and I read to him the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's another great passage about the rapture, about what's going to happen when we die, when this body ceases to breathe, and when our soul and spirit are taken by the angels of God into the presence of Christ, and we're forever with the Lord. What's going to happen? How's it, what's it going to be like? So this passage tells us what's it going to be like. <laughs> and it's a great contrast between our earthly body and what we're going to receive the moment that we are with the Lord. So, Nathan, would you please read the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians 5 for us? Thank you. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive in the body that which we have done here on earth. <clears throat> wonderful passage, right? A wonderful revelation comparing this earthly body to a tent and our heavenly body to a house eternal in the heavens. <laughs> so our earthly body is just temporary, right? It's like a tent. I don't know if you've gone to a Camping in a tent, you put the tent up and you're sleeping at night, maybe two or three nights, but it's just temporary. You take it down before you go home and it's put away in the closet or wherever. So our earthly body is like a tent, a tabernacle, a tent. But our heavenly body, whatever it's going to be like, is like a house eternal in the heavens. <laughs> and Paul says that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, there's two words in this passage that are different from the other passages, and that is that we will be absent from the body, but what? Present with the Lord. In Colombia, when the sergeant calls the guys out of their tents or out of their barracks, they must present, when he calls his name, they must answer presente, <laughs> present. <laughs> and that's what it's going to be like at the rapture. When the Lord comes, he's going to shout, with a loud voice. And I don't know how he's going to do it, but 
Each and every one that has passed away as a believer in Christ will answer, Presente. <laughs> we will be present with the Lord. And he will take us to be with himself. So we will be absent from the body, present with the Lord. <clears throat> and then it says that in the light of that day, we should be living so that we might be pleasing to him. And that's the application here in this passage, that the truth about the Lord's coming should have an effect upon us that we are pleasing to the Lord. I don't know if each and every one of us here this morning is living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. First of all, there's two groups of people in the world, those who are, are believers and those who are not believers. In many believers' lives, even believers, their lives are not pleasing to the Lord. They're living for the world, or they're living for themselves. They're not living for the Lord. They're not consciously serving the Lord with their lives. And that's sad, because then in the presence of the Lord, even though they're going to be saved, as it says by fire, they'll be rescued like from a building like it was last week. That building caught on fire, and a neighbor noticed it was burning, and everybody got out safe and sound. Well, that's what it's going to be like the rapture. We'll get out of here safe and sound, but not everybody will hear that well done my good and faithful servant. And then, of course, those who are not believers will not get out, and they will be consumed in the judgment of eternal fire. <clears throat> so we have to be living pleasing to the Lord, knowing that when he comes, we will be immediately absent from this body and present with the Lord to either receive his well done, my good and faithful servant, or to suffer loss for a life that was not lived for him. You know, we don't have much time here in this life. How fast the years have gone. I'm going to be 86 next year, and it just seems like the, the years have gone by so quickly. And how much time left to serve the Lord? We don't know how much time we have left to live for the Lord and to serve the Lord. But make the most of it, folks, because someday we will suddenly be in the Lord's presence. We used to sing that hymn, soon with joyful, glad surprise, we shall hear his word arise, mounting upward through the skies, glory, glory, glory. We will be absent from the body, present with the Lord, so the life that we're living today should be pleasing to the Lord. And now the last passage is in 1 John. It's not a revelation from Paul, but through the Apostle John. And it was my wife's favorite Bible passage. 1 John 3, the first three verses. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And so the Lord says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, but it does not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone that has this hope in him, this hope in his coming, and every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Now that's the purpose of the revelation of the rapture 
we know that the Lord is coming. When he comes, he will change us into his likeness. And everybody that has that hope in him purifies himself. The effect of that hope, the effect of that teaching, that revelation, the effect of that should purify, should change and purify our lives that we may be living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Everybody that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Our Lord Jesus Christ lived a pure and righteous and just life in this world. And he is the holy son of God. And he wants every one of his children to be holy and pure like he is pure. Not living an impure life, but living a pure, pure life waiting for his coming. And then Paul closes the second chapter of Titus with those words, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that what? That blessed hope, the coming, the rapture, looking for that blessed hope, and the glorious appearing, the appearing of the glory of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now, we as the Lord's people are a peculiar people, right? <laughs> well, it doesn't mean a funny people. It means a unique people. <laughs> and we in this world are, are a unique people. We're not a people that goes along with the sins of this world. We're unique in the fact that God has chosen us. He has redeemed us to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify unto himself a peculiar, a unique people, zealous of good works. So what good works are we doing? What difference are we making in our world, at school, at work, wherever? What difference are we making? We should be making a difference because the Lord has chosen us to be a unique people among the world in which we live. And if you're not saved yet, God wants you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you may become one of his people waiting for that day when the Lord Jesus will come. Uncle Dave used to say, we're waiting for the shout, right? <laughs> we're waiting for the shout. And when the Lord Jesus comes, he will come with a great shout. And he will raise all of his people from the dead, change all of the living, and we will be forever with the Lord. Before we go, let's sing that wonderful hymn, 768, in your book. I don't know if we have a pianist. If we do, I appreciate it, that we sing hymn number 768 in the book. And